want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Today, as we continue our journey in Ephesians, we will be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Ephesians 5, 22-23. Have you ever wondered why there are so many self-help books? Like, why more and more self-help books keep being written? Even at a Christian bookstore that I worked at, like we had so many self-help books about becoming a better you or living your best life now or even like a better body in in 30 days. Like there's so many of these kinds of self-help books. And and it's amazing to me that it remains like this lucrative business for people to write these kinds of books because not only have we not somehow figured out that this stuff doesn't really work, but also... How many different ways are there to say the same thing? Your better body in the 30 days is eat right exercise. And we have whole books about this. Anyway, uh, recently a a well-known author of self-help books was accused of plagiarism. Uh, And I want to see if you recognize some of these quotes, okay? Ambition is not a dirty word. Someone else's opinion of you is none of your business. You can be whoever you want to be and achieve whatever you want to achieve. Those sound familiar? It's because they sound like every self-help book ever written. (laughs) Of course you've read that somewhere. You've read that People magazine, for goodness sake. And so I was disappointed in the plagiarism just as much as I was disappointed that something so generic and vague could be considered plagiarism at all. I was like, what? How can this be plagiarism? But what's really ironic and sad, like, I didn't even intend for this to happen, but as I was researching this author uh, to refresh my memory, I found out that they were actually getting a divorce. Like, recently they they were um, announced they were getting a divorce, and so... You would imagine, though, that they would have a hard time marketing their self-help books about improving yourself when the result is collapse. I don't think that it's a stretch to say that God is for your marriage. We're not promised that we'll never get cancer. We're not promised that we'll recover from cancer. We'll not, we're not promised that we'll never be poor. We're not promised that we'll be rich. We're not promised that we'll never have problems. But in a unique way, God has tied his glory in the display of healthy, faithful marriages. In a unique way, God has tied his glory in the display of faithful, healthy marriages. And again, this doesn't mean you're not going to have problems in marriage or that your marriage won't be tested, but God wants healthy, faithful marriages for the display of his glory. This isn't a self-help book. 
As much as some of you might want this, this isn't 10 days to a better husband or 30 days to a great marriage. This is a picture of a healthy, Christ-centered marriage. And healthy, Christ-centered marriages always involve more than two people. There's three people involved. A husband, a wife, and their Lord. And I wonder that if this author had realized this, the outcome would have been different for them. What they needed most of all was a new picture of this kind of Christ-exalting, Christ-occupying marriage. It's a Christ-exalting and a Christ-occupying kind of marriage. So what, I, what we'll do today is, as we work this passage, we're going to look at each of these three participants in turn, in marriage, in turn, in order to get a full-orbed picture of marriage and most of all, higher views of the gospel. So let's read chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul begins this passage by addressing, by beginning by addressing wives. So, so first, wives are to embody faithful submission. Wives are to embody faithful submission. So Paul writes, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, this passage, this very verse is like dynamite in our current culture. Because when we think about submission, we often think of negative images. So I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen this movie. Um, I was really young since I last saw it. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Young Frankenstein. Uh, we, we, uh, yeah, um, we often picture submission as like Frankenstein's, uh, servant Igor, right? He's kind of like this dim-witted, senseless guy who just does these things. And so I remember, uh, Frankenstein needs Igor to steal a brain. Uh, and, and for some reason, Igor steals a brain that's labeled abnormal. And so he tells, uh, Frankenstein, who, Frankenstein's like, who did this come from? He's like, a girl. And her name was Abby. Abby normal. <laughs> and so we kind of picture 
submission is kind of like, okay, you're just Igor, and you're just kind of following this guy around. Or maybe, if you haven't seen Young Frankenstein, maybe uh, we think of submission more like the flying monkeys in The Wizard of Oz, and we're just d- these servants doing the, the will of this person, no matter how wicked they are. But that's not at all the picture that Paul has in mind here, because the submitting here is not a fulfilling wishes, but a following. It's not fulfilling wishes, it's following Andreas Kostenberger, he wrote this, A more accurate way of looking at marital roles is to understand that wives are called to follow their husband's loving leadership. In fact, in Genesis 2, uh, when we heard from today, God makes Eve, he says about Adam, I will make a, what, a helper suitable for him. Again, this word helper is actually often used of God in the sense that that they never would have made it on their own without his help. So it's the same kind of word. So the idea of Eve being Adam's helper is he can't make it without her help. So this kind of submitting has nothing to do with fulfilling wishes or obeying master, but providing faithful help to a loving husband who desperately needs it. That's what submitting is. Now, I want to point out a couple of things here. And the first thing I want to point out is this. Women are not called to submit to any man that a man is also not called to submit to except for their husbands. Women, you're called to submit to male elders. Men, you're called to submit to male elders, male pastors. You're called to submit to your fathers and mothers. Men are called to submit to their fathers and mothers. You're to submit to men in authority. Men are also to submit to authority. The only other person that a woman is uniquely called to submit to is her husband. Another man has no authority over you. The only man a woman must uniquely submit to is, verse 22, their own husbands. I, I think, it's, it's my theory, and I don't, I don't think it's a theory. I think science has debunked this. But I think multitasking is like this great big lie. Like, I don't think that we're designed to do multiple things at once. I think, like, we are only supposed to do one thing at a time. And maybe one reason why I believe this is because I'm very bad at multitasking. But, women, your submission is not supposed to be like multitasking. Trying to submit to all of these men at once. The only men you're called to submit to are those in authority, your pastors, and your husbands. But I also want to point out that this command can never be separated from the reality in which it is rooted. Look, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is not blind submission. It's not unintelligent submission. It's worshipful submission. 
It's submission rooted in the reality of the church submitting to Christ. Faithful submission. Any submitting cannot be divorced from this reality. In fact, it's because of this reality that transforms the entire dynamic of marriage. For when the church submits to Christ, what does it do? It dignifies the church. It exalts the church. It makes the church the most precious object in all of creation because it is precious to the king of creation. That's the kind of submitting that this is rooted in. So any submitting to a husband must be mirrored after the reality that the church submits to Christ. And one reason why that's important, because Paul says something really interesting here. He says, now as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I want to talk about what Paul doesn't mean and what he does mean. What he doesn't mean is submitting without exception. Remember, he's calling wives to submit in the context of a loving relationship. What this means is that there's no such thing as submitting to abuse. There's no such thing as submitting to violence, wicked selfishness, or perversion. Because at that point, you're no longer submitting, but enabling that. In fact, the loving thing to do at that point would not give your husband the chance to sin. And sometimes that means you actually have to call the cops on him. So that's that's not what he means. So what does he mean? It means Christ has installed the husband as the head of the family and wives should not unduly resist that headship. Proverbs 21.9 says, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop or a closet, a tiny closet, than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. And I like what Solomon says in Proverbs 12.4, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. The crown is the most important part of the king. In fact, here's what's crazy. What that means is wives have so much dignity and worth that they can make or break a husband. And that is a lot of responsibility. And it's a responsibility the world doesn't want. Wives embody faithful submission. The thing about this passage is he, he addresses each one in turn, but it's impossible. It's impossible to talk about these individual roles without ba- bouncing back and forth between the other. Right? A quarter is not a quarter anymore if it's cut in half. A dollar bill doesn't have any worth if that dollar bill is torn in half. So in the same way, there's no faithful submission if there's not also loving service. So husbands embody loving service. I want to point out something here before we get to husbands. This entire passage is 12 verses long. In four of them, Paul is addressing wives. 
The other eight, he's addressing husbands. What I think that that means is that the husband's role is not only weightier, but easier to mess up. It's a weightier role and easier to mess up. So Paul writes in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let's talk about, let's talk a minute about how Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The most obvious and most important display of Christ's love for the church is obviously dying on the cross. But I want to focus on something that we miss, right? Because I, you know, I've said this before, but I've heard people say, I love you so much, I take a bullet for you. Okay, that's great. But diving in front of a bullet is easy. What's not easy is John 13. John 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And John tells us that before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I like how the NIV translates that last phrase. He showed them the full extent of his love. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's easy to say, I'll take a bullet for you, but what about washing someone's feet? The cross is the epitome of Christ's love for the church, but the road that led to the cross was a lifetime of being a servant. That's what washing the feet is all about, is he's taking the form of a servant. So, so, Christ, being the head of the church, uses that role to serve the church. For husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church is to do the job of a servant. We get this exactly backwards. We like to think that because the wife submits, she serves. We like to think that that because the husband is the head, the wife must serve me. No, no, no. This is not the attitude of Christ. The attitude of Christ is, I am the head of the church, and because of that, I will become her servant in order to save her. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So for husbands to truly love their wives is to become their servant. How about that? So do you see the dynamic that's at play here? The the wife faithfully submits and the husband lovingly serves. The church submits to Christ. Christ serves the church. You want to know something else? Wives are to submit to loving leadership. Like we talked about, you're not to submit to abuse or violence. But, But guess what? Husbands, love your wives and serve them if they gladly submit and if they quarrel with you. How about that? 
That's because like submitting, this serving is also rooted in a greater reality. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. The reason husbands are to continually love and serve their wives no matter what is because Christ continually loves and serves the church no matter what. His church might be divisive. His church might be wrong in error. They might stray. They might, they might be rebellious, but he loves her and he serves her and he nourishes her. In fact, in fact, for a husband to mistreat his wife is to say Christ mistreats and takes advantage of his church. That's how high these stakes are for husbands. It's to assign selfishness and self-serving to Christ. And that is blasphemy and worthy of the highest condemnation. Far be it from Christ to be haphazard or careless or abusive to his church. And far be it from you, husbands, to say that by your behavior. As parents, Mallory and I both feel like we give 110%. We both feel like we're doing more than the other is. So, he doesn't change enough diapers. Well, she doesn't appreciate how hard I work. And honestly, she probably does more than I do shouldn't be that way. How much should I serve my wife? Our whole lives should be spent breaking the bounds of this question. Did you serve your wife wholeheartedly today? Then you shall do more tomorrow. Christ held nothing back from us and we hold nothing back from our wives. interesting that Paul uses the image of a body here because what you eat affects the rest of your body. If you exercise or don't exercise, it affects the rest of your body. I ate pizza yesterday and it was good with garlic knots dipped in garlic sauce and it has already this morning affected my body. So husbands, what you consume whether it's reading or on the computer or watching TV, how you behave, the words that you use, how you use them, the decisions you make and how you make them, your spiritual life and your walk with Christ, all of these have a direct effect on the well-being and inner being of your wife. Run to Christ and take your wife with you. 
lovingly serve your wife. Symbols are incredibly important. The world that we live in today is drowned in symbols. I mean, you can't drive down the road without seeing the symbol of McDonald's on a bag tossed to the side of the road. I mean, your garbage guy knows that you buy from Amazon because you have Amazon boxes and the Amazon symbol all up in your garbage. That's when, as a Boy Scout, I learned how to take down and properly fold the American flag in this special way. I remember as a Boy Scout participating in a flag retirement ceremony. So we built like this huge fire and you, you take these old, tattered, battered American flags and you fold them in this respectful way. And then you place them in the fire and you retire this American flag. Marriage doesn't represent a company, it doesn't represent a nation, and it doesn't represent the whole world. Marriage represents Christ to his creation. That's why, finally, marriage is meant to embody the glory of Christ. Marriage is meant to embody the glory of Christ. Paul quotes Genesis 2 here in verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now technically speaking, Paul quotes this in reference to husbands. So taking care of their wives as their own bodies is rooted in creation when God designed marriage to be the union of two bodies to form one. Right? So take care of your wife as your own body because you are one body. But Paul takes this further and he redirects our gaze to something else. He says in verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, what Paul is saying is that in the beginning, when God designed marriage, the design was never just about husbands and wives. God's design for marriage was about Christ and the church. One commentator said it this way. A Christian marriage is to reveal the mystery of Christ loving his responsive church. Such a marriage bears living witness to the meaning of two becoming one. Paul saw that when God designed the original marriage, he already had Christ and the church in mind. Marriage was created as a momentary picture to display the love between Christ and his redeemed people forever. Marriage is never just between two people. There's three, a husband, his wife, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Your marriage is a microcosm. Christian, your marriage is a microcosm of what the Lord of creation is doing to redeem a people for himself forever. In eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit eternally planned that what would glorify God the most is the sending of God the Son to love, serve, and die on behalf of finite, sinful creatures 
to be his bride forever and ever. It is a profound mystery. In other words, all of creation is about the gospel. I hope by now that you realize how utterly incapable we are of doing this. This is a high calling. So what we are to do is not get a self-help book. It's to run to Christ for grace. Say, God, I can't do this. I'm weak, often beset with selfishness and sin. But your grace is sufficient for me. To run to Christ. Run to Christ over and over and over again. When we studied Romans 10 last week, we talked about how faith comes by hearing. We normally think of faith coming by hearing only to lost people, but faith comes by hearing to Christians. We need to hear over and over and over again. Our faith needs to be awakened over and over and over again. And we do that by going to Christ. And yeah, we are selfish. We're rebellious. But Christ gives us more grace. He is for you, Christian. He is for your marriage. One reason Paul, right, we've been through Ephesians, first three chapters is Paul talking from all these angles about the beauty of the gospel and who we are in Christ, and then he gets into these commands, right? He, he talks about the unity of the church and how important the unity of the church is, and so he's talking about, up until this point, our relationships with one another in the church. And so, the first thing after unity in the church is unity in marriage, and so what that means is the health and unity of Christian marriages has a direct bearing on the health and unity of the church. And this is not for non-Christian marriages. It's impossible for non-Christian marriages. This isn't a self-help book. It is a trans. Forming reality. You can't participate in it until you're transformed by Christ. You can't daily submit to Christ until you truly love Christ. So don't go and go about and try and set out to do this. Be transformed by Christ. Repent and put your trust in Him. Submit to Christ before you ever try to submit to your husband. Serve Christ, love Christ before you ever try to serve and love your wife. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the perfect husband. You never fail. You never falter. You, you don't say anything when nothing needs to be said. You grieve with us when we grieve. You speak the right truth at just the right time. 
you're gentle. You lead us in places we don't want to go, but you remain with us. You give us light. You transform our darkness into light. You intend nothing but good for us. When we get hurt, God, you intended for our healing. You are a faithful husband. A faithful husband that we look to because each of us, husbands, wives, singles, all of us have failed you. All of us are a corrupt, wayward bride who daily run to other men who daily try to find comfort in other husbands. You are a husband who has died fully and finally for your bride. We're sanctified in you, redeemed, righteous. And you invite us to participate in this reality that mirrors your great glory and your great grace. So Father, as our marriages help us as husbands to submit, help us as wives, help us as husbands to serve, help us as wives to submit, help us to exalt you and to invite you to occupy our marriage. And God, help us as the church, your bride, to be faith a faithful spouse. How much should we submit to you more and more and more? How much should we serve you more and more and more? Let us never grow tired of running after you to submit and to serve the King gladly. And it's only by your grace. We pray these things in your name. Amen.